On today's episode of the show, we have Maya Perry, a 2013 graduate of the University of Vermont, Community Development and Applied Economics major. So in today's talk, we discuss how Maya makes a big move to a new country and how she becomes the marketing manager for a startup. She was a third employee of a company that is now 30 people strong. We talk about the trial and error that it took to get Maya to realize what she wanted to do in her career. And we get specific about how she was able to leverage the resources around her to find answers to questions that she didn't know, which allowed her to take on more responsibility within a smaller company. So I'm really excited for this talk. There's lots of practical advice, and uh, let's dive in. Hey, Maya, welcome to the show. I'm happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. So why don't we start by having you introduce yourself. What year did you graduate UVM, and what are you working on today? Yeah, no problem. So as you said, I'm Maya Perry. I graduated from UVM in 2013. I studied CDAE, which is Community Development and Applied Economics. And my main focus there was mostly community entrepreneurship. And then I also just realized, I had to look back at what my minor was. It was food systems. I probably went through a few. Um, and I am originally from Boston, Massachusetts, uh, outside Boston in Wayland. And right now, actually, I live in Israel. I've lived in Israel for almost five years. And I'm a marketing manager at a startup, a data science startup. We are a B2B platform that helps a lot of other companies build their data science for enterprises and stuff, stuff like that. Great. So we have a lot to talk about already. I love that you you know, are living outside the country. There's a lot there that we can dive into. But why don't we first talk you know, about how did you end up at UVM? Actually, it was the first school that I applied to. I had like a list of 10 and it was the first that I got into. And, you know, when I first visited, it was so beautiful. It just looked like a really cool vibe. And I think that the people that I had known who had gone to UVM were cool people. And I kind of like looked up to them. So, of course, I wanted to go to UVM. And yeah, that was pretty much it. And I'm so glad that I went there. You know, I did actually apply early decision to, you know, Babson for a business school. Um, and I'm really happy I didn't go there because I think UVM like shaped me, it formed me. <laughs> yeah, great. And so you said you knew people at UVM before you ended up going there. Yeah, I have an older sister and, you know, she has friends who had gone to UVM. She went up to school in Colby College so that New England vibe was really what I was looking for. And I didn't want to be too, too far from home, but I didn't want to be as close as Boston because, you know, Boston has, you know, 50 schools, but I didn't want to go that close to home. Yep. Okay. So, so you get a new VM, you apply early action. How did you decide on CDAE? Yeah, actually, I started in the business school. <laughs> I started in the business school for the first semester. And when I decided that I wanted to go to the business school. Obviously, I knew that I wanted to do business. I had applied to other business programs. And basically, the I chose UVM because I thought, you know, it would be a very, like, focused in green business and uh, social enterprise. And my first semester, I'm sure later on in the business school, you get into the sustainability and the green 
aspects, but I was a little bit impatient and I learned about CDAE. I don't remember exactly how, but somehow I got connected to the CDAE program and I spoke to Jane Kolodinsky in her office about the program. And she was like, do you like, you know, the applying of economics? And she really talked about like the human that goes into economics and that there's a cool entrepreneurship program. And I was talking about how I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. And that's how I got into it. And I was super convinced. And it was like the perfect opportunity for me because in CDAE, you can do all kinds of things. You can be super interested in business and entrepreneurship and numbers and economics, but you can also be really interested in international development and learn about, you know, development practices and sustainability and um, ecological economics. And all of that was super interesting. It just made me think of, you know, not just neoclassical economics that you would think of, but thinking outside of the box and how, you know, how you can always think outside of the box um, and think of the world in a different way, which was really, really awesome. So did you switch, you know, while you were in school or was this right before school? Like what was the no, timeline switched, on that? Yeah, I switched while I was in school, um, right after my first semester. Um, okay, so pretty early on. Okay. I think it was, yeah. And I've also found out that it wouldn't hold me back if I had done it then because um, basically all of those business classes, all the economics classes, introductory business classes I took transferred into the CDA credit. So it was kind of perfect. Yeah. Okay. So you get into this major. Do you have some kind of idea yet what you want to do in the future? I always thought that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And to this day, I still have that, you know, tingling, wanting to start my own business of some sort. I've never been fully sure what it would be, and I still don't to this day. But even then, you know, in high school, I took an entrepreneurship class and it blew my mind. We learned about Ben and Jerry's and their social enterprise, and we went to Mexico and learned about fair trade. So it really all meshed together in the end. I always knew that I wanted to do some kind of entrepreneurship, and I definitely wanted to use my creativity and passion in some way and it really worked out in in CDAE I guess yeah for sure I, I think that that's great that your high school did that because you got exposure and a lot of what we've been talking about on this podcast throughout the episodes is for students to take the opportunities they have in front of them to try different things because you don't know what is necessarily going to attract uh, to you and for you it sounds like you know this entrepreneurship you that kernel sort of started in high school by taking a class that exposed you to some things you didn't previously know about. So now you're in the CDAE program. Are there any classes that you took or were there any capstone or projects that really allowed you to get your hands dirty with the entrepreneurship side that, that you were interested in? For sure. Well, when I took my first economics class in the business school, I think it was macroeconomics. I was really bad at it really didn't understand it. I couldn't conceptualize, you know, that those macro ideas. And I took my first economics class in CDAE with Jane Kolodinsky, who I don't know if she's still the dean, but I I was amazing at economics suddenly. And when it was talking about, you know, 
individuals, I really could connect with it. So in the beginning, I really put off economics, but I had the right teacher who really explained it well. So that was one of the courses that really impacted me. And another one is, uh, so if you're in CDAE, I think Kathleen Liang is uh, somebody you may have heard of before. She runs the Community Entrepreneurship Capstone, and you might see her businesses. Uh, she has all of her students in the Capstone basically start a business from scratch, and she tries to get people to actually sell on campus. And my first business idea was a DIY pickling business. And, you know, some of my friends helped me come up with the name. It was called What's Brine is Yours. And it was probably one of like the best experiences I had while it was like goofy and fun. You know, I really got to find the product market fit even for pickling. And it was something that I already did all the calculations. And I saw that I actually could be profitable if I really wanted to do this to, you know, set it up in, in you know, Boston or in a college yeah. town. It was just, it was a really cool experience to do it from A to Z. like. Really, I got to come up with the idea. I got to come up with the product, the branding, the messaging, the whole like feel of the store and how I wanted to, you know, I also built a business plan and I really, it was like a hands-on of the entire, how to be an entrepreneur. Yep. Um, and that was yeah. really, really cool. Great. And did you, did you end up setting up a little booth uh, on campus and, and selling what you, your product? <laughs> I actually didn't. But um, I did make a prototype at the end of class, at the end of the year, and I did make a bunch of pickles. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, one thing I wanted to, to call out, too, so you, you took one economics course, you didn't do well, probably felt a little bit discouraged, but then you had a different professor and a different type of economics class that you did really well in. And so for students, like, there's this really specific piece of advice. If you're interested in something and you're struggling in one class, it does not mean that you can't be resilient and take a different course or take a different path because obviously we'll get into this more later. You're obviously successful and, and CDAE contributed to that. Uh, but, you know, that's really great that you were able to still stick with, you know, hey, I'm interested in entrepreneurship. I'm going to take, you know, this other economics class and, and you know, you did well and, and we're able to go from there. And then as far as the, the starting the business thing, I think, that's a really great capstone project, getting your hands dirty, because you just mentioned some things in there, like product market fit. That is the essence of being able to sustain a business, is to have a product that meets the needs of a consumer in a competitive landscape. Could you talk a little bit more just about how you went about doing that and you know, for this specific project and just some of the hands-on activities? Because I'd love to see if there's some ideas in there for students that they could do tonight even and spend a little time and, and get some experience with these things. For sure. And, you know, just to respond even to one of the things you said earlier is that our lives are really just trial and error back to like the class of, you know, I wasn't good in one economics class, but then I tried a different economics class and I was great at it. Got like top grades in the class. It's all trial, trial and error. And that's yes. in careers as well. You really do not know that you're bad at something or good at something until you try it. And that's the same with product market fit. You can do as much research as you want. Um, and 
It could be quantitative. It could be qualitative. You know, just hearing from friends, would this be interesting to you? Would this excite you? And if, if you're getting a lot of excitement from it, it's probably a pretty good, you know, product market fit. And then you can start looking into the actual numbers. So you come up with the idea first and you use your intuition and your empathy to understand other people. And then after that, you then get to, you know, actually use the numbers to see, okay, so now where would be the best place for me to sell this? Right. Yeah, I think that a lot of people have ideas, but very few execute. And what you just said in there, even talking to your friends about it, and you built, you know, a prototype. And effectively, for those who don't know, I think a lot of people know it, but you know, you're, you're building uh, with the resources that you have some example of the product that you might sell. It might not be perfect. It might just be very handmade and manual and all of those things, but then you can get your idea out there and you can test it. And I think the ultimate way to figure out if something is valid is are people willing to, to pay you for that? And, and there's a lot of ways to test it, a lot of ways to get really hands-on, but that sounds like a really pivotal experience for you in, in college, especially something that you can talk about afterwards. Now, were there any other you know, clubs or activities or mentors or, or anything while you're in school that you feel really impacted you and your career in the future? Yeah, actually, there's, you know, UVM was a very influential time for me. One of the biggest roles in my experience was probably the Ultimate Frisbee team. I know you had a last viewer that was also on the Ultimate Frisbee team. I know him very well, yep. Jason Parker, shout out. <laughs> yep. um, and you know, that, first of all, those friends are friends for life. We were a team and we were waking up early, you know, supporting each other, meeting each other in the library and the team itself being part of a community. Not that anybody was studying the same as what I was studying, but I had a math friend who was studying math and she helped me through statistics. And that community in general has really stayed with me makes me you know the team player that I am today and another experience actually you know my summer I think before senior year I got to do an internship which was really awesome it was with Vermont Works for Women and I got to really be hands-on I did a little bit of marketing and a little bit of social media and I kind of just got to see what it's like to work in a real business. And I didn't have any work experience besides that out of college. So a recommendation to students now, you should definitely try and take as many opportunities as possible while you are still in school, even if they're unpaid or for credit. I think those experiences are really valuable. And yep. that's something that I probably would have done more. I also was yeah. a TA for a little bit. And that was really, really awesome. Yeah. Service learning teaching assistant, which was great, really cool. And awesome. And how did you get connected to that uh, Vermont Works for Women opportunity? You know, I don't remember. I <laughs> I think that I probably either saw it on some job board, some internship, or it might have even been through CDAE. They might have had some internship job board there and. I know that in the course that I took or that I was TAing, it was a service learning, one of those service learning classes. And, you know, 
the students there could volunteer. So it might have been something service learning related. I don't exactly remember. Okay. Yeah, but you make a good point about trying to get that hands-on experience, even if it is unpaid or for a credit. I think there is a lot of stigma about the whole working for free and things like that. I, you know, I totally get that. But I remember when I was in school, I was on the UVM job board. I found an unpaid internship that ultimately turned into a paid position and acquisition and, and all of those things. So kudos to you for going and, and getting that experience. And so let's fast forward a little bit. You know, I love the ultimate Frisbee shout out to again, community and <laughs> It's amazing with the connections. You're listening to Jason Parker episode three and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I know that person. Uh, so it really does go a long way to just leave your dorm room, your apartment, your house and go do things. But fast forward to, you know, graduation. I mean, what is what what are you doing in the weeks or and months leading up to network? Did you have a job, you know, already in hand? I mean, talk to me about that experience a little bit. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So basically... I, well, I was a summer camp counselor for years and years and years. And so after school, I immediately went back to my summer camp for my last and final year because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was kind of intimidated by the job market. <laughs> and so actually luck, like totally by luck, you know, I talked enough about what I had studied. I'd also come back from study abroad, I think that year. So people knew that I had come back from, oh, that's, you know, I missed that experience, but I did study abroad in Uganda. And I also got to help a soap business start in Uganda for a social enterprise. Um, I won't jump into that too, too much, but really coming back from that experience, people knew that I had studied abroad in Africa and they were interested in that. And on visiting day with the kids, one of the, uh, higher up people, um, I forget who it was, but somebody from my summer camp who was on the board introduced me to one of the parents who was doing some community development enterprise thing. You know, they heard that crazy community development and business together. And I think it excited them to connect us. And I got a job out of that. Yeah, I met this guy who had recently sold his huge advertising company and was ready to really do something for the people. And he hired me after that summer. I moved to New York and we, I tried to help him build a business that would help Newark, New Jersey with community development and help disadvantaged ex-prisoners, formerly incarcerated. and. So we were trying to find a product that really worked to try and sell and also do this community development in unison. And he was a really, really interesting person, um, Charles Rosen. And he really thought about the branding side because he's ex-advertising. And I got a, such a good opportunity to like really come up with from the ground up an idea and really think out of the box. And coming from UVM, we actually yep. thought of doing a cider company, a hard cider company. And to this day, I think it's like four years later, they are a hard cider company. You can find it now in New Jersey and New York. It's called Ironbound Hard Cider. 
And they are doing everything that we talked about doing from the beginning. They're, yeah. They have a hard cider company. They have a farm. They're re- rejuvenating the Newark soil. Um, they have workforce development program. And it's really, really cool. That was an awesome experience. And it all came through networking. Yeah. And so can you talk a little bit more? I want to get into your move. But can mm, you talk yeah. a little bit more about those those conversations with Charles? I mean, what were they like? Because, you know, again, if I'm a student, I'm sitting here, well, I, I would love to talk to somebody, but how the heck do I turn that into a job opportunity? Could you just talk a little more in detail about what that was like? That's a really good good point. It did take a little bit of work because Charles himself was not really ready to, you know, hire someone. He, he didn't really even have an idea, but he liked, we had a lot of phone conversations where I was kind of helping him. And I think one day I got the guts to say, you know what, Charles, I really want to help, help you start this. I'm looking for jobs, but there's nothing as interesting as what we're talking about right now. So if you can, you know, offer me a salary, if you can really, you know, if I can move and do this with you, I would be really, really happy to. And after some time, you know, he gave me an offer. I moved. I I think I lived in one of my best friend's uh, houses in New Jersey for a little bit until I found a decent apartment. And I commuted to New Jersey to his house um, from New York City, like two hours on the train every single day. And I just kind of made it happen. And, you know, he wasn't totally ready, which was part of the hard part about um, working at this company because it wasn't a company. It was just him and me working every day. And I was like involved in his family and everything. So after two years, it was like, okay. I think uh, I need to move on and work for a real company now. <laughs> yep. And when you say he wasn't ready, he he wasn't ready to, what, expand the company, formalize it. Could you define that? Yeah. So he wasn't really ready to formalize it. And, you know, Got to it. start, a, I helped him build a business plan. I helped him do the research for product market fit again. Um, and I really helped him build it. But to be honest, I never got to have any, not a sip of cider because there's so much bureaucracy um, in New Jersey about starting a cider company. You're considered a winery and you need to have three acres of land or more of growing grapes. So it takes like another two years and it was a long process and I was pretty impatient. Two years was enough for me in my young life. That was like a decade. So <laughs> I, I had to leave. I uh, had to get some other experience, but it would have been really cool to wait it out. And nowadays, the company's doing really great. So I'm really happy to watch them grow. Yeah, for sure. So you got to be a part of that. And it is really interesting because you just took the reins of the opportunity to get yourself some experience. I mean, working out of someone's home and sometimes an opportunity can feel like it's not quite what you had envisioned. And I call back to my experience of a startup you know, in in one room, I I didn't think that that was what it was going to look like after school. But you spent two years doing this, you commuting, that's a heck of a commute, you use your network clearly to find a place to live. And and so you get this experience, I think that's great. It's not always what it, you know, looks like and what you envision. But what happens after that, after those two years? 
Yeah. So I stayed with him a little bit more half time and I wanted to try and find some other experiences. You know, I, I really was a startup junkie. So I just went from startup to startup doing whatever job I could. It was actually a pretty bad job market then. Um, looking back on it, I thought it was me, but you know, now I realize that actually it was a pretty bad job market. And especially in New York, it's extremely competitive. And for entry level um, people, it was it was just very, very hard. I found, you know, I worked in my LinkedIn, you'll see that it says raw vegan jerky uh, master. That was one of the positions that I had. I was helping another guy start his vegan raw vegan jerky company. They're also doing really well now. And yeah. I got to be in the beginning of that. So I saw a lot of like entrepreneurs. I really got yeah, to see that happen in real life. <laughs> how, now, how did you get connected with that opportunity? That I just saw on a random job board. I think it was like food, some food lab, food systems job board specifically for, you know, food enterprises. <laughs> and I was okay. like, really interested so- in that. Yeah. And so you, you submitted an application and, and you heard back, like, what was that an immediate hear back? Yeah. What, did you have to reach out to anybody? Yeah, I think actually for that one, because nobody really thought to be a, they, nobody knew what a raw vegan jerky master even meant. And I thought it was a really funny ad. So I think I responded with a pretty funny response. And he was like, you seem perfect for the job. <laughs> And so I just helped him build it. I did a little bit of marketing, but I also just made raw vegan jerky. <laughs> yeah, that's so that I want to call that out because that's something I think is an important detail there. You, you see this unique job description. Your head is in that space. It's probably a relatively new concept to a lot of people because this is, I think, a few years ago. And that's, you know, sort of before this whole wellness movement. And so you probably found an undervalued opportunity you stood out because you responded to that specific opportunity in a comical way, but also in empathizing with that business owner. And that probably attracted the attention. So I think there's a lesson there too, in that there are going to be jobs that exist two years from now that do not exist today. And if you're following your passion, if you are looking for things that are in the space that you've tried different things and you know what you like, then you're going to see titles that don't make sense to 90% of people, but make sense to you. And that presents an opportunity. So good for you for grabbing that. I think that that's great. And that is why you hear back because a lot of people don't hear back from job boards. And, you know, clearly that was a unique situation. So you, you do that work. And then what happens after that? So I actually found a few other interesting jobs, strange jobs. There was, I also was part of like the co-living thing for a little bit where I was trying to do partnerships, partnership relations for a company that, a co-living company. If you don't know what co-living is, it's kind of like WeWork, but living. And they were, they had just moved from, they were expanding from San Francisco to uh, New York and I was helping them connect them to like, uh, partner companies so anyone who would uh anyone who would talk to me basically and that was kind of my first salesy role and I hated it it put me in super uncomfortable positions I cried you know after every meeting um but it was really really interesting and I needed that experience for sure 
And yeah, it, can you talk about the, the crying after every meeting? What's going on there? Are people not buying into it? Or could you just expand on that a little bit? Well, what I found out later was that the company itself was kind of dying. And I didn't know that um, being a part-time person. Uh, so they put a lot of pressure on me. They said, you know, you need to meet with, you know, five different, uh, HR head of HR, uh, in the next week in like huge companies. And I just had to find these meetings myself with my own network. And once I had exhausted my network, I really didn't know what to do. Um, and I had to really push out of my comfort zone and just kind of walk into companies and be like, hi, can I speak to somebody important? <laughs> um, and I get a lot of no's. And even if I did sit with them, it wouldn't lead anywhere. And it was a lot of rejection. No one was ever mean to me. I think I was more just sad about, um, you know, failing. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, I think it was more in my head, but it was a very important experience to go out of my comfort zone. I probably wouldn't go into sales again, uh, yeah. but I'll definitely go into uncomfortable positions again. That's for sure. I appreciate you sharing that because I think that there's a lot of us. There's been meetings where I have cried after because I have felt like I failed or I felt overwhelmed. So I appreciate you sharing that because I, I want people listening to know that, you know what, this, this happens. It happens at all levels and that's okay. And so you put yourself in an uncomfortable position. You tried the sales thing. You learned, hey, you know what, this isn't for me excellent now you don't have to worry about that being something that you want to get into and so and i did interrupt trial you and i apologize error. trial <laughs> and error and i i like that i think that's going to be probably part of the title of this so you try that you know it's it's not your thing what happens next so last we have gotten to how i got to israel i didn't know <laughs> yes. what, my lease was ending in new york and i was like oh man what am i going to do i don't have a job or like a well-paying job. And it is very expensive to live in, you know, east, the East Village of New York. So I was like, I think I'm going to go finally do birthright. You know, my father's actually Israeli. And I had been visiting Israel for many, many years as a young child and into my teenage years. But I never really got to come here in it to Israel um, as an adult and like just to travel. So I did go um, for 10 days and I ex extended my trip. Birthright is a free trip to Israel for uh, Jewish people um, from the U.S. And I extended my trip for three months. I hiked um, the Israel National Trail, which is about three months, but I just did two months. And after that, I went back to Boston, still didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> And then I decided that I would actually move to Israel and kind of start from there. Um, and that was a whole new story, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. And so how you make this, that's a big decision. How did you know that you were ready for that and that you wanted to do that? So I didn't make any commitments for life. You know, um, I was, I told my family, you know, I'll move here two, five years. We'll see, you know, we'll see where it goes. But I made no commitments. Um, I went with an open mind. And luckily, moving to Israel, there's a lot of benefits and they make it really easy for you. And I had family here. So it was actually a pretty easy adjustment. Um, I didn't 
Hebrew learning um, for a few months. And then I did some freelance writing because actually um, I made some really cool friends um, and I networked with them. And I also knew somebody from UVM who was doing really well in the tech world here. And his name is Alex Litwin. You should look him up. He's a very nice guy. Uh, he's a UVM alum and he was just killing it in Tel Aviv. Uh, I think he was teaching product marketing or something like that, digital marketing. And he was really doing well. So he helped me get my first job and connecting me with a lot of people. Um, and I worked for like a gaming company doing copywriting. Uh, and what's really unique about coming to Israel is that, you know, I already had a pretty good writing experience uh, back in the U.S. So I had content writing experience in my past job. Um, and so when I came here, it was like, wow, first you're a native English speaker and you have experience writing. So and doing marketing like I was it was pretty easy to find a job. Actually, it only took me a few weeks to find a pretty good job at a company called Playtica, which is a pretty big gaming company here. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, you can, you can go if you'd like. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I, uh, that, that's again, like, so that, that's so great to hear about another UVM connection, but also some of the things that we talk about on the show is, you know, there's areas where there's a lot more competition and there's times when you could be an absolute rock star, but the market, it's just really tough. And so it sounds like you're in a, a place where you have some advantages, you have some differentiators that are going to put you in front of other people purely by moving to a new place. So, exactly. you know, again, that's a big move, moving to a new country, but you have family there. It's a place that you've been. And so you're having these conversations, you're doing some freelance copywriting. That And, and that quickly too is something that, Anybody can start doing today. We all consume a lot of content and there's a skill set in there, the ability to write headlines, the ability to write blog posts. And so if you want to get hands-on experience with that, you know, you can start a blog, you can get a something as simple as just getting a Twitter and tweeting every single day and interacting with that community. And we won't go down on that tangent. I want to hear the rest of the story. So you're doing the freelance copywriting and then what happens after that? So I worked there for about a year or a little more than a year. And that was really, really awesome. And I already felt like, okay, I did copywriting. It was pretty easy for me. I'm ready for the next big challenge. And I didn't see it in that company. So I moved on to another company, actually doing PR. Um, so then I started doing PR again, you know, it has a lot to do with my native English. Um, I quickly got a job. Uh, doing public relations. And I was really interested, you know, like I said, I everything is A, trial and error, and B, um, I kind of have this grand plan of being an entrepreneur someday. So I want to get as much experience as possible in different areas. So the fact that I got to do copywriting and marketing and monetization, um, and then I got to move on and do PR, it's really important because those two things led me to, you know, my next job, which is now a marketing manager um, for a startup where I basically get to do everything, which is kind of 
always what I've wanted to do is to do everything, um, to do a little bit of copywriting, messaging, content writing, but also to do run the PR and run, um, you know, PPC campaigns and everything product marketing. And so that's really how I've been building my career because I want to try and learn every single thing that's possible. I think that's a really great strategy and, you know, you're putting the pieces together. So how did, how did those conversations go? Because clearly, like I heard you mentioned PPC, pay-per-click, like, you know, Google search ads, were there experience that, that you didn't have yet that the role was requiring? Wow. Big time. Um, yeah. Specifically for that role, um, I was number three in the company. And it was started by two data scientists, plus it was two more developers that were working. And then there was me marketing. Um, and I had really no one to learn from. I had to come up with everything, you know, myself. Um, how are we going to start this? We had to start with, you know, how can we even explain this platform in a website and make it look, look cool and um, really get our messaging out there and refine our messaging. And then from there, you know, I got to, I also got there at the same time that we got, you know, $8 million funding and yeah. I got to do the PR for that and work with the PR agency also and had that instinct from before. Um, but I really had to teach myself everything. Luckily nowadays, yeah. Um, you know, I was doing PPC LinkedIn campaigns. I was doing Facebook campaigns and I had never done any of that before. I went a lot to Dr. Google to understand everything. Um, I, there's a lot of resources out there. I adopted HubSpot and watched every single HubSpot video possible. Yep. Um, learned from as much as I could, you know, how to start a startup or how to start marketing in a startup and built it from there. And also I had some experience, you know, in the past with this kind of thing, but how to actually run a LinkedIn ad was very, very difficult and took a lot of time. And it's still like a very, very hard thing to do. And luckily now we have somebody who does that in our company. <laughs> um, but it was really hard to do everything that we couldn't do. Yeah, and I'm, yeah, exactly. And I want to dive into that a, a little bit more. But first, I mean, when you're in these interviews and you're you're having these conversations, and you know that there's a skill set they are looking for, but you do not yet have, how did you handle that? Did you bring it up and say, "Hey, look, I don't have these skills, but I can learn"? Did you say, "Yes, I had experience"? I mean, what what did that look like? So, actually, when I started this job and for the person who was hiring me, who was the CEO, I'm not sure he was thinking so far ahead that we would, that I would need to know how to make, how to do, um, you know, how to run a WordPress site or that, this and that, but he was looking for the basic instincts and the basic um, writing capabilities and messaging capabilities. Um, so I got lucky in that sense. But again, I think you have to just fake it till you make it. For the most part, everybody can do everything if they really, really want to. Um, there might be somebody who can do it better, but uh, 
you are always capable of doing it and learning it yourself. Um, and you might stink at it, but that's totally fine. <laughs> you'll uh, be good at something and then you'll just work more on that one thing. And hopefully you have a manager that will support you and really guide you to do the things that you're good at, more of that, and yeah. um, recognize when you might need help. And you shouldn't be afraid to ask for help or say, listen, this isn't my strong suit. Um, it would take me, you know, another decade to learn everything I need to know to do this, but just asking the right questions and knowing when to ask for help. Yeah. And so I, a lot of times when you look at job descriptions, I mean, even me today, nine years in, and I'm, I'm sure you, if, if you look around a little bit, it can be intimidating because there's a lot of skill sets that people want. And the reality is that most people who apply are not going to have everything, but there's something really unique that you've done. I do not see a lot of people do this. And so we've talked about it on other, other, other episodes. I'm going to say it again today is that you were proactive. You leveraged Google, you leverage resources, watching every single HubSpot video, watching, you know, you can go to YouTube and you can pretty quickly learn how to design a Facebook ad, how to run a LinkedIn campaign. And a lot of the times I see in my workplace, or people that I interact with, the ones who stand out are the ones who are willing to go try and learn first and leverage those resources and get creative doing it. Twitter's a really awesome resource. This podcast, I knew nothing about, you know, recording a podcast, editing or anything like that. And as you had just said, Dr. Google and YouTube and Twitter and Reddit, and all of a sudden I'm, you know, know how to do this thing. So I think that's exactly. great. You were able to step into the role and you know you you figure out what your strengths are you double down mm -hmm. on those and then you know you work with your manager to to fill in those gaps so you started there exactly. it was three people um yeah. you know what, what does it look like today how many employees and and what's happening over there we have 30 people um in one small office but we are expanding so quickly um and it's really been interesting to watch uh and, you know, with this trial and error theme here, um, I was so, you know, exhausted from trying to do everything. Uh, I don't know if I can say this on here, but like half-assed. Um, and I wanted to, you know, use my own benefits, the things that I'm really good at. And we ended up hiring somebody who's incredible in all of those things that I worked really hard to learn, like... Um, you know, CRM systems like HubSpot and automation and um, uh, PPC campaigns, which is all like, and WordPress, these are all very like technical things that I taught myself. But in the end, I was like, okay, I don't love doing this stuff. I did it. It was fine. I was challenged and I got to learn it, but I didn't love doing it. And I'd rather do more of like the messaging and the PR and the Marcom. Um, so that's kind of the direction that I went and we've grown immensely. Um, it's cool to really stick it out. I've been working here the longest, um, for a year and a half and it's the longest of the company. So I'm now one of the older, older people there, which is so funny in a startup to right. be that person, to see it from zero. Yeah. That's the dream experience. Your employee number three now you're up to 30. And I think that you taught yourself a lot of these skills. But what's really going to be important, and I'll ask you this, 
the fact that you tried a bunch of different things during that time and now you know, okay, I like this, I didn't like that. Has that helped you? Like, have the leaders of the business come to you and say, hey, Maya, you've been here the longest. What do you want to do? Have they asked you that question or, or you know, asked you that, you know, recently? Um, They don't, but they do. They can see it in my face what I like and what I don't like. You know, um, they can see how difficult it is. It was for me to have to do all this um, technical stuff, you know, performing automation kind of some people in the business call it growth hacking and I was like this isn't really what I'm naturally good at I can do it and I can do fine at it but um you know the C the COO was kind of, has always gone to me for messaging and um they always come to me for messaging and they know that I'm a great writer and that's the main reason that I got hired to begin with and that I come with um, out of the out of the box ideas for campaigns, so uh, I think it's kind of led into that. You know, in the end, if you're good at something, um, you feel good doing that, so you want to do more of that, and your company is normally admiring that as well. Um, I I wanted to be a marketing manager, but I didn't really know that I would have to do all of that automation and mm -hmm. uh, PPC and technological stuff. I thought that it would be more messaging, and now it is. So I've grown into the position that I want. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Kudos again to the the owners, sort of seeing what it is you're good at and what you like to do. But I think for people, it's really important to be clear about what you want. And that will help you to define your career path because you may be, if this company doubles to 60 people, you know, that you may be asked, well, what do you want to do? Where do you want to be in two years? And you have a much better idea because you've tried a bunch of different things and you're honest with yourself and you know what you like and you can help define that for yourself. A lot of time I see people will definitely say, you know, especially students, well, I don't know what I like. I don't know you know, what I want to do. I think I want to do this or this or this. And the reality, and you were put in a very good position because you've got to try all of those different things uh, to really call out what it is, you know, that, that gets you out of bed in the morning and, and drives you to be successful. So I, I think that that's really great. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to add about the current experience? Um, you know, I will also say uh, as part of that is I actually, now that I think about it, I did kind of position myself I was you know a big part of telling you know the higher up the hiring managers exactly what I wanted um, to hire who could be my yin and yang you know who could fit with me um, and they were really good about finding somebody who perfectly you know worked well with me and took over some of the things that I wasn't so great at and leveraged the things that I was great at. So um, that was something that I really had an impact in and like deciding exactly what I wanted to do. So I was just like talking to um, the right people and getting the right people hired, basically. That's so crucial because for all of us, we are going to be asked at some point, multiple times, probably, what do you want to do? And that can be the best question in the world, or it can be the worst question if you're not prepared. And you were clearly prepared for this. So again, I, I it's kudos to you. It's so important. 
you've set yourself up for success, but you've also set your company up for success because you're able to help them go find the people that you need to compliment you and, and take those efforts even further. Um, so as we begin to wrap this up, uh, you know, one of the questions I, I like to ask people, you know, what did UVM kind of jumping back to the college experience teach you about yourself that you otherwise wouldn't have known? Interesting question. I like that. Um, something that UVM taught me, well, first of all, was how to use my empathy and my connection with people in the real world. You know, of course, I took all of these courses, I but I pretty much don't remember, you know, how to do an algorithm in economics and things that I really studied, um, they didn't really carry with me uh, into my career and a lot of the marketing also, but more of the soft skills and the ability to get by um, through people and through networking and through knowing people and communicating with people. Um, I think I had the most amount of friends at UVM possible from all walks of life. And that was just super impactful. Yeah, that's a that's a really great answer. I know that that's a, a tougher question. So, you know, finishing off, do you have any final thoughts or, you know, any other advice for students? Um, I think for students, just go with your gut and you're not, just know that you're not in any rush to get anywhere. You don't need to know what you want to do. I don't think anybody ever really does maybe unless you are deciding to become a doctor and you are investing in, you know, 10 years of schooling. But for the most part, it can be trial and error and you'll end up somewhere if you have enough drive and to keep your confidence. If you see a job posting and you don't have the skills, nobody has all the skills. And if they did, they probably wouldn't get hired because they'd be overqualified. So just remember that and let your personality take over for the rest <laughs> yeah for sure well maya thank you so much for joining yeah. you know we have a lot of really great content I'm, I'm really glad that you were able to come on and share your story thanks everyone for listening to this episode of how we got here uvm stories make sure to subscribe because we have a lot of great future episodes coming your way and if you have any questions that you want me to ask guests live on the show Email them to me at Tori, T-O-R-R-E-Y dot Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at gmail.com. Have a great day.